we looked at the last uh, four weeks before this, Faith, Hope and Love. We're doing Love in two parts. We're looking at love this week. I want to just say a few things on about love, Christian love, um, before we get into the um, passage in the Bible and, and before we unpack it. Just um, things that are really important to say. Things, I guess, on reflection after last week, I think, oh, I wish I'd emphasise that a bit more. It's really important as we grapple with, I guess, the heights. When we look at the heights of God's love, when we look at the heights, the, the breadth, the depth, you just think, oh man, what, what do we do with this? I think the first thing that we, I really want to say is that when we read through this amazing list on love, which we're going to in a moment, and you see all these amazing attributes of what love is like, primarily, not that this was Paul's primary intention in this specific moment, but I think primarily, generally, where we need to start is, this is God's attention, uh, position towards us. This is what God is like towards us. He loves us. Uh, We can become so familiar with it that it can lose its power, but I I wanted to just start there and say, God loves you today. When we look at the love of God, you'll realise that that's not some just kind of almost harmless niceness. It's much more than that. But he loves you. And I want you to know that, and if it helps you to just stop for a moment and maybe even close your eyes and just let it sink in for a moment into your soul, this truth, God loves you. It's personal, it's a big deal, it's life-changing, it's real, it's transforming in its power. I want you to understand it. Um, Regardless of where you've come from and what you've done or what you haven't done, Bad things you've done, good things you haven't done. He loves you. You can't escape the love of God. King David talks in one of his psalms about trying to escape the presence of God, the the jealous love of God. Wherever he goes, he finds that he's not escaped. He's surrounded, he's hemmed in. Hemmed in by the liberating love of God. It's quite a picture. As Matt Redmond put it in his song, Surrounded, but I've never been so free. That's what it's like. It's a, it's a very determined love. We're going to look at that today. But as we go through this list, I want you to understand before you get to, before you get to, am I loving? Before you get to, do I live and love like this? I want you to understand, he loves you like this. It's so important you get that because the Bible says in, in the book called 1 John chapter 4 that we love because he first loved us. And so actually we are, we are so crippled by our, uh, our sinfulness, and we are so crippled by our lack of godliness, by the way that we've fallen, that without knowing the transforming love of God into our soul, we can't give it out. And so if your starting point is trying to be loving, you're only going to end in real frustration, depression, despair. It's going to go wrong. Probably a kid. <laughs> Don't you love him? Or one of the workers. Uh, running away. No. Uh, <laughs> real um, so it's a real, if you're the kind of person that's kind of introspective and you, you, the first place you go to is kind of me and, you, and your starting point must not be, I must be like this. Your starting point for all of us must be, this is his position towards me. He loves me like this. And you mustn't get into that, oh, I'm sure he loves that person like this, and, but not me. You, you can't, to do that is almost prideful because you're putting yourself in a different category. You're saying no one in this room can be as bad as me or no one in this room can be as unlovable as me. There's actually a weird kind of inverted pride in that. You're saying I'm different. The Bible says that we're all made in God's image. 
We've all fallen through sin. And when you come to Jesus, all of us on the same grounds of his mercy and grace get lifted up and raised and restored to him. And so you mustn't put yourself in a different category. Either he loves us or he doesn't. Because we're all really the same. And he loves us. So he loves you. And, and God speaks that into your life story, into your narrative, into your history, into your temperament, into your internal uh, you know, workings, the things that go on, your reflections, the, the way you see yourself, the way you understand life. God speaks into that and over that with a voice louder than a waterfall, I love you. You, gotta, you, re- uh, you think, uh, is this guy repeating himself? Yes, this guy is really repeating himself. Because you've got to get it. And Paul in the book of Ephesians talks about praying for power to be able to grasp it. Because it's a spiritual issue. There are enemies against you to keep you from a proper grasp of it. So that you might have a flimsy grasp of it. So as soon as you make a mistake, you fall into despair. Okay? So he loves you. He loves you perfectly. He loves you with an everlasting love. And in Christ, he loves you with a covenant love. Which means you are his forever. In his hand, and no one can snatch you out. Good? Really good. Okay, so I wanted to start there. Then we get onto ourselves. How does it work, becoming more loving? It certainly doesn't happen overnight. It certainly doesn't happen in an instant. We're born again in an instant. When you come to Christ, you're made a new creation in an instant. Those of us here who are Christians, we've known that. Whether at a young age or, an old, or when we were older in life, we came to Christ... And, and some, something happened whereby there's a new principle goes to work. It's, it's, it's the Bible describes it in very vivid language, lots of different ways. But the idea being that fundamentally you get a brand new heart which beats for Jesus and the things that Jesus' heart beats for, which is other people. And so you get a new heart whereby actually there is a supernatural ability given to you to love. I remember when I first was a Christian, one of the things that, that I would walk down the street doing, it sounds a bit strange, but it's just when you've been freshly awoken. You know, I was, I was a new creation. And I remember thinking, wow, God loves that person just like he loves me. Wow, God loves that person just like he loves me. And being really struck by that because I've been very amazed by his love for me and suddenly realising it's for this one, this one, this one as well. Something happens inside supernaturally. It's a work of grace that God does. But, now I use the word but, not because everything I'm about to say now contradicts that, but what I'm about to say may be surprising for us. And it's this, to grow into love, into a place where you are loving in a mature way, in a way that looks like Jesus, to grow into that so your life consistently looks like that, like the list we're going to look at in a minute, to grow into that takes effort. Not a kind of legalistic, I must, I must, I must, by just willpower, effort. But Jude puts it like this. In, in verse 21 of the book of Jude, it says, keep yourself in the love of God. Or keep yourselves in the love of God. Which is an interesting phrase. It doesn't mean keep God loving you. No, I've already made it quite clear. That's not how this feeling works. God loves you. But it's almost like, imagine there's a waterfall there of God's love. There is a responsibility on our part to keep ourselves in the, in, in the consciousness of that, to meditate on that. You want to be loving? The first thing you must do is keep yourself in the love of God, to meditate on his love for you, to reflect on it, to consider it, to feast on it, to taste and see that the Lord is good. It's so, so important. But there's something for you to do, i.e., when you wake up in the morning, odds are your first thought isn't how loved you are. When I wake up in the morning, I'm not, I'm not feeling the glory. I'll be honest with you. I'm really not feeling the glory. It's normally more like, oh, that's where it starts. 
I want to to live in God's glory. Therefore, there's something for me to do. I've got to get myself somewhere. I've got to get a hold of myself. I can't just believe every little thought that's coming into my head. I want to get, you know, what if I wake up feeling unloved? Was that it? No, I've got to get myself in the love of God. Do you see what I'm saying here? There There is effort that is involved. Because if I can be meditating on that, then I find there is an overflow of his love through me to others. Which is what I need. Also, it's an issue of discipleship. It's an issue of, it's an issue of Jesus saying, you're no longer under the Jewish Torah. You're not under, you're not under the Jewish Torah law. But I tell you, I'm going to give you a new command, and it's this. Love one another. It's a command. It's not, I've got some advice. No, I didn't say I've got some advice for you. It'd be a great idea if, no, I've got a command for you. Love one another. There are, new, there are commands in New Testament Christian life. It's not just advice. We're not under the law. But Jesus I've got a new command for you. Love one another. There is, there is, it's an issue of my obedience to Jesus to love. Yeah, it's, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus says, that if you love me, you'll obey my commands. So one of the primary ways I express my love for him is by loving others, because that's his command, and I show that I love him by obeying his command. Do you see how this works? That's in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's coming out of the gospel. He's loved me. He's shown me what love is by laying down his life for me. I've been saved by grace and not by works, so there's no boasting. Absolutely. But now as a disciple, there's a command over my life, Steph, I'm calling you and commanding you to love. And I need to take that really seriously. And I need to recognise it's going to involve discipline. The word disciple, discipline, very similar words. It's a similar idea involved. There's there's some learning to be done. This doesn't come naturally. Naturally, I can be quite unloving. So I'm just trying to help us grapple with this as a discipleship issue. Because remember last week I made that comment, you're not going to just become super loving by someone laying their hand on you. Love is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It takes time to grow. So we don't want to get into just strange things where we avoid all effort and work and discipleship and just say, but if you'll put your hand on my head, that would be amazing, then I'll be really loving. We don't want to really go that way. This is no, it's not going to help. It's not going to be helpful. So a long intro, but I think really, really important. Hopefully that's put it into a little bit of a perspective for us. This thing takes time, does involve effort, but the Holy Spirit will absolutely empower you as you determine to obey the command of Jesus to love. Okay? I'll just read on then, shall I? Uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Um, hopefully, yes, here we go. Let's read this chapter again. Beautiful chapter. If I speak in the languages of men and angels... But have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my, my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends or never fails. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for languages, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. There's a word here from the Holy Spirit for someone. I just read that verse there. I just feel the Holy Spirit really wants to emphasize this to someone today. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. You'll know it's you because you'll be, your heart will be being hit like an arrow at the moment. And God has brought you here today specifically to say that to you. It's time. It's time to give up childish ways. You're a man now. We'll read on. 
For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And God, who is love, we just want to make so much space and room for you today. And during this time, we, we, want, we want to give space to your word. Lord, thank you that you love us with this incredible love. And Lord, those of us that are aware of our sin and aware of our shortfallings, often we, f- we feel in our mind and in our heart and our soul, how can God still love me? And yet your love proves stronger than everything in creation time and time again. Your love holds fast. And we honour you for that. We honour you that we serve the God who is love. And in you, we, under, we learn what love is. You teach us what love is. And we just bless you for everything about yourself that you've revealed. We bless you and we honour you. And we pray, Lord, that you would have your way through this passage today. Amen. So last week we looked at love is patient, kind. That love doesn't envy or boast. We looked at that love is not arrogant or rude. And we looked at that love does not insist on its own way. And we're going to just pick it up and work through the second half today. And... Uh, Trust that God would help us. Now, love is not irritable. <laughs> it's just deadly, isn't it? I mean, um, this for me is a significant one. I, 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 would, I would say, I'll just, try and, I'll just try and share honestly as we go through this, just, just to try to, you know, we're all in it together, aren't we? I would say that I can fall into this through particular leanings towards negative thinking. You Generally speaking, Generally, I'm not saying always, sometimes you don't know why, but very often you're irritable because of a thought that's come in with a message. Sometimes it's so subtle you don't even notice it. But a thought's come in with a message that you've believed. And then you find yourself feeling very, very short. It's often what happens. It's how it works, very often. Um, uh, and, and so this is where guarding the mind is so, so important here. If you're prone to this, it's so, so important. Philippians 4, um, verse 8, talks, it says this amazing thing. I, th- I mean, this is, this is hugely important. This is, what, this is the, the work of discipleship, Philippians 4, verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Ah, okay. There's some work to do there, some work to be done there. Because I can easily find my mind going to things that are anything but that. Things about myself that may, may make me feel negative. Things about other people that might wind me up and I want to meditate on those for a while and develop quite a um, developed daydream about. Circumstances in life, things that haven't happened that I thought would happen, things that have happened that I didn't think would happen, and I can get into that. There's something, there's something here, or get a hold of yourself, set your mind on these things. Wow, that's, 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 there's effort there. There's effort there. But you see, love isn't irritable. If I, if I allow myself to continue to be an irritable person, if I allow myself to, to be the kind of person that people don't really want to approach, when they come near me, they're thinking, what's it going to be like today? Because I'm, I'm either this way or that, way, capricious, you don't know what you're going to get. Or people are on eggshells around me. If that is happening, then I'm clearly not living a life of love. If I'm prickly, if I'm a human stinger nettle, need to what, something, you see, what, what, what is that? Why am I making people feel that way? God wants to work on that in me and soften me so that people don't feel that way when they approach me but are pretty sure what they're going to get. That's a good predictability. Yeah, that is a good predictability where people feel, you know, where people are surprised if something 
something unhelpful comes when they approach. But they feel confident and free coming and approach or calling you or getting in touch. If there's a kind of a, a fear in people, then, you know, we have to ask questions of ourselves if, people don't, if, we, if we are unapproachable. If you're irritable, then it's, it could be potentially quite likely that you're, that you're being judgmental as well, I think. That you've, that you've made certain decisions about certain people and they're meditating on that and they're negative and you've assigned that person's like that, that person's like that and it's bugging you and it's bothering you and it's bubbling away inside. You've got to look at that. Irritability is more of a symptom, really. You've got to look at what caused it. But it's not a fruit of love. And it's not a fruit of God. And uh, God will want to help us with this by his Holy Spirit. Because love, as we've just read, is not easily irritated. Neither is it resentful. This is a massive one for some here. As I was preparing this, it was like... Holy Spirit, Paul's moment, this is massive. I think the NIV puts it, keeps no record of wrongs. That's very, that's, I like that phrase. Keeps no record of wrongs. It's the same thing as resentful. If you're a resentful person, you've basically built up, you've stored up wrongs against you. You've stored them up and you carry them around with you. And as such, if someone does one little thing that even looks like something bad someone did to you once, bang, they're either dismissed, they're disqualified, or they are prey. Why? Because you are living with this sense of the ways you've been wronged. Some people come from cultures that do not forgive. The whole culture is about holding on and I will get you back revenge cultures. If you're, if you're from a culture like that, you need to take, this is going to be a big one for you. And the reason why it's so important is because this attitude to be resentful or to keep a record of wrongs is probably the most anti-gospel attitude you could have. Everything about it cries out, this isn't the gospel. <laughs> Everything about it cries out, this is the opposite from the gospel. What the gospel is, is that we had wronged God, and God comes and pursues us with this incredible love, and gives up his one and only son, so that he can not just accept this in some kind of cold, clinical way. You know, okay, fine, it's alright now, just don't talk to me too much. You know? It's not that, it's so that he can embrace us, and draw us into his purposes with him forever. This is amazing. That's the love of God. That's, that's the way God has dealt with us, wronging him. And so for a believer to have received that message and then to live life keeping a record and, and not forgiven from the heart and assigning people to certain categories, oh, you're like that. And that is like, that's not gospel. Your life is so out of kilter with the love of God and the, and the gospel that you profess to believe. And I want to plead and urge with you here. If you are, if you are carrying unforgiveness around with you, leave it. Do not, let it, do not let it continue in your heart for one day longer. And I'm not pretending it's an easy process. It's a very painful process to forgive. It's painful for God. It's very painful for God to forgive. Look at what it costs God in the gospel, giving up his only son. Forgiveness is very costly. Very, very costly. But I tell you what, it is beautiful, worshipful, liberating, and always worthwhile. You want to grow in love? You've got to look at areas where potentially... You are holding on to wrongs people have done by you. Particularly those who are closest to you. Husbands and wives, this can be massive. This can be the, this can be the beginning of, of it all going wrong when there's just a storing up and a storing up. Rather than a genuine releasing, releasing, releasing. Good friends, people that get close and a few things happen and then it's never quite the same again. What's happened? Something's not been dealt with. It's important. Parents and children. It's huge. 
Please take this seriously. Don't, don't just, don't bat it away. Oh, he's just, he's just being spiritual again. No, please don't do that. It's really, really important. It's the word of God. Take it seriously. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Thirdly, in Romans 1, there's this very famous list of terrible sins. You won't, won't read through the whole list. It'll only cause controversy because we don't have time to go into them. But it does say this at the end. Because it's a massive, massive list. And it says this. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. It's interesting that God, by the Holy Spirit, inspires Paul here to just take notice of that. It's not just, it's not just when you do the thing. Actually, God is very concerned when someone will look on and applaud or support or subtly encourage someone to do something that is a terrible thing. It's not love, you see. Love does not rejoice with wrongdoing. And the kind of Christian life that God is wanting to produce in our souls means we mourn over sin. That we feel terribly sad at wrongdoing. Yeah, that we, we, when we see things that go on that are sinful, that we're just grieved and that we should be people who do know how to weep. We know how to feel the heart of God in our hearts. That's what God's wanting to do. That we don't get into that kind of malicious state of mind or spirit whereby we find ourselves grinning at someone's failure or supporting someone's idolatry or, or taking comfort in someone's demise. God keep us from that. And we've got to deal with ourselves in that because our flesh can really, really want to get into that stuff. So we've got to, you, you know, you can't be naive and just pretend it's not going to happen. That will rise up in your flesh, certain things. The Bible says that those who belong to Jesus crucify that. There's a violence. There's a violence. You say, you will have no inch. I'm not giving you any space. By the power of the Spirit, you crucify that and, and, and cultivate the worshipful stuff. Battle's real. Battle's real, but I want to grow in love, don't you? Thankfully, now Paul moves on to the more positive things. Love doesn't just not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. There's joy in love. There's something that, something that love finds to really rejoice over, and it's the truth. Now, I guess you could kind of look at it, gospel truth, absolutely, but it's a more general word, meaning kind of truthfulness, honesty. I want to just speak to you about this. Because there's something we've got to, I think we've got to, we've really got to look in the mirror on this one. Um, I think I might have told you this before, forgive me if I'm being repetitive, but there's a preacher called Tim Keller from America. I went to hear him for a day in London once. And it's funny, when someone comes in from another culture, uh, they see your culture more clearly than you see it yourself. And his comment about the English was this, he said, candor, candor means plain honesty. He says, candor does not exactly grow on trees over here, does it? I thought that was very interesting. Because if you're English, or even if ethnically you're not English, but you've been more uh, socialised in England, your culture's kind of English, then you'll know that one of, the, one of the values is niceness. And not wanting to offend. And there's not, that's not, you know, that's, they're not bad things. They're, they're, they're probably good things. But I don't know whether they are ultimate things. I think truthfulness, with loads of grace, is an ultimate thing. To be someone who's honest, to be someone who... Actually, when you say something, you're not what the Bible calls double-tongued. You say this in that setting, and that in that setting. That's a real, God hates that. I'll, I'll be honest with you, he talks about that in Proverbs. There's six or seven things he hates. That's one of them. A lying tongue. 
And, but you can get used to it. You just start with little ones and it's just like, well, you would have caused so much hassle to tell the truth. Hold on, stop, break. Face the hassle. Face the hassle, yeah? Because when you, you, you go the easy shortcut, you're putting in line a little, a little principle there that's going to go somewhere not good. May we be open books. May we never find ourselves in a position where we're speechless because we've been caught out and we're caught out because we're being tricky. But help all of us in this. Let's grow in it because we want to become more and more loving. We have, a, we have a phrase in our house called being tricksy. We've never defined it clearly uh, and word for word, but everyone knows what it is. When you're telling someone off and they're wriggling here, they're never saying, you're being tricksy. <laughs> and when the tricksy word is spoken, generally speaking, the wriggling stops. It's like, yeah. <laughs> and we said, come on, let's, let's be straight. Let's be straight. Let's live straight. Let's think straight. Let's talk straight. Let's be very gracious and very gentle. Yes, yes, yes. But be straight and true, not crooked. Look at Jesus. They said of Jesus, they said, they, they, they said even when they came to try and trip him up and trap him, they said, we, one of the phrases they use about him, I think it's in Matthew 21 or Matthew 22, basically they're saying that you're, you, what you're saying, you're, you're not looking at other people's expressions in order to work out what you're saying. Yeah? He's not looking, how's it going to be gauged first? Oh, okay, we won't say that then. No, he speak, they say you speak the word of God in truth. It, it, it may sometimes cause some things that are a bit difficult, but in the long run, I tell you what, there's some great relationships. And people will, if people don't like you, they'll know that you're trustworthy. That's important. It's a really important witness. Love rejoices with the truth. So I want to encourage you to be intimate with God. I love that little, I don't know what you want to call it, a little wordplay, intimacy, intimacy. I would encourage you to just let God see right into who you are and work in you. And out of that place to increasingly be plain with other people. Face your fears. Sometimes you're just scared of being, just be plain. Face your fears. Watch what God will do. Love rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Now probably because later it says endures all things. It probably doesn't mean bears all things. Here, This word can mean bears all things. Or it can mean covers all things. So it probably means covers all things because otherwise it says the same thing twice. So that, that means this, love is not looking to expose someone when they mess up. Just kind of say, ah, you know, point the finger, wah, wah, sound the sirens, this person's blown it. No, love covers. Quick, we don't want anyone to notice. We'll, we'll deal with it, we'll work it out. But the least amount of humiliation and shame and embarrassment that's going to cause you, the better. It's love. It's what love does. If you're someone who just, lo- you just love it when someone gets exposed and someone gets humiliated and embarrassed and you, well, look, everyone, come over it. You've got, you've got to ask yourself some questions. Yeah? I have to learn, have to, have to learn a, you know, in our family, as children get older, they, get, they can get a bit more self-conscious and sometimes, you know, sometimes say things like, look, you know, the way you're telling me off in public, it's embarrassing me. It was okay when they were three. But they, wanted, they want a different way of doing it now. Okay, we've got, to, we've got to work on that. Why? Because love covers all things. God covered. What has God, what has God done to us in that sin? I mean, think how he could have exposed us. Think. Think what, a, what an opportunity God had to say, I'm going to, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to expose a lot of them before all the angels. I'm going to have this great thing called Judgment Day and totally expose a lot of them and say, look how terrible they are. It's not the gospel, is it? Praise God, it's not the gospel. 
He comes, I'm going to find a way to cover your shame. And I'm going to clothe you with the righteousness of my son, so you're even fit for heaven. (laughs) You see, that's the love of God. And out of that place of having received that kind of covering, we look to cover others. We look to cover as best we can. And when we don't, we say sorry. (laughs) And all these things, whenever you don't, say sorry. Love believes all things. And this one, you've obviously got to look at this. Love believes all things? Hold on a minute. What's, what's, what, are we, what are we saying here? Are we saying just total gullibility? Whatever anyone says, you believe it? Well, it can't mean that. You know, the Bible talks about this sermon and other things. So it can't mean that. Um, but what it does mean is this, is that love's posture is not primarily, oh yeah, go on in. Love's posture is primarily kind of wide-eyed and like, tell me more. Tell me more. There's a, there's a childlikeness about the nature of God. Kids believe everything. I'm kids believe, when they're at a certain age, sort of, I don't know, sort of six and under, most kids believe anything you tell them. It's scary. They ask you some questions, you think, I could, say, I could say some really funny stuff, you know, and you'd believe it. There's something in the heart of God, and I'm treading reverently and carefully here, Without any of the gullibility, of course, you know, there's all things, everything's laid bare. But there's something in the heart of God which is kind of wide-eyed and tell me more. He's, I mean, you think if anyone would be cynical by now, would it be God? If anyone would have gone cynical with me by now, surely it be God. And still he comes and he makes promises and says, I'm with you, come on, let's go. What is this? It's the love of God. And he calls me to exercise the same thing. Yes, be shrewd as a serpent, but be innocent as a dove. Don't get... Don't get tarnished. Don't get stained. Don't get, don't, don't get a worldly spirit about you. Oh no, have, a, have an innocence. Even if it means you get hurt more than not. Well, it's better that than becoming just tough. It's better that. It's better that way. God gets hurt. God gets hurt still. Don't avoid pain at all costs. Whatever you do, you just develop the thickest skin in the world. And the hardest heart. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Wow. <laughs> So when we're walking in the love of God, we learn to look ahead with confidence. We, look, we, we don't have this kind of negative outlook on the future. You think, you think no, there's, there's good things to come. There's good things to come in the kingdom of God. I'm not, not, again, I'm not, you know, my hope is, is in him. My hope's not in temporary things, so it's not naive. My hope's in him. Because it's in him, I'm believing for wonderful things. I, I really am. I'm believing for trials as well, and opposition and pressure. Yeah, you know, I'm believing he's going to fulfill his promises. I'm believing he's going to be with me all the days of my life. I'm believing I'm going to grow in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I'm believing I'm going to bear more and more fruit as I get older than I ever have done before. I, I, believe, I believe for better and better relationships as I get more and more godly. I absolutely believe God for that. I absolutely live in hope of that. I, there's nothing in me that's thinking, oh, it's not going to happen, oh yeah. No, I totally believe God for that. Why? Well, I would love hopes all things. And so I'm filled with hope for the future, and I feel I can walk with God in that because he is too. Absolutely. Love endures all things. This is a military term. This is a military word. It means to sustain every assault of evil and hold firm. Basically, it's love saying, still here. Still here. You can throw what you like at me. I'm still here. It's the love of God. I'm still here. That's what he says, isn't it? I'm still here. There's seasons in life, aren't there? <laughs> often a bit awkward. You turn up at church, someone says, how's it going? I say, I'm still here. Because there's seasons of life that are like that. Still it. There's not loads of more to say at the moment because it's tough. And I'm fed up. And I don't like it. And I want God to change the season. But I'm still here. 
I'm still here. And I will remain here because he's got me. And he's still here. So we're going to stay here together. Endures all things. Whatever may come. Steadfastness. Love endures all things. Because nothing can separate me from the love of God. Nothing can. You know, nothing can separate you. There's nothing that can get to you and sever you from the love of God. Still here. And then finally, love never fails or love never ends. It's, it's, the, idea, it's the idea, the imagery is of a lighting. It's like, you know, when you, get, you come on, you're on a train and, 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 and your, your station comes, it's time to alight, you, you get off. Uh, love doesn't. <laughs> so I guess, it's a, I guess it's a very similar idea to really enduring all things. I guess enduring is more the idea of attack and assault and I'm still here. Now it's just you're sitting on a train and you, you, know, you have a snooze, you wake up and that, that person opposite you, you're still there. So even through, the, even through the, 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 the sometimes boredom of life, you know, life's just a bit boring. You think, the routine, the humdrum, the this and the that, going to the toilet, <laughs> going shopping, doing, paying the bills, you know, you think, oh, mate, you know, look around, ah, you're still here. You're still here. Yeah? Love never fails, love never ends. It's the love of God. And God will enable us to just be people that are constant people. There's a lot to be said for just being constant. You know, sometimes I look at myself and think, I've been here seven years. It's not that impressive. You know, it's wonderful. I love what God's done, but you think, you know, Camden still doesn't resound with the praises of Jesus, you know, and all of that. You think, oh, wow. Okay. But I'm not going to go all silly. I'm not going to start doing crazy things. I'm going to start be still here. I want to learn to love this place. Learn to love my neighbours. Learn to love the flock that God's given me and others responsibility for. Learn to love my wife and love my children. Just learn. Grow in it. Grow in it. Be constant. Absolutely give myself to where God's called me through forever. Until he calls me on. Absolutely pour myself out. I can do that because it will empower me to do that. And sometimes it will be dramatic and sometimes you won't even notice it. But it's the love of God. And it's precious. It's important. He wants to build that into us as people. It's a beautiful and a wonderful thing. The greatest of these is love. Amen? Amen. Let's just be still before God for a moment. As we're sitting here, and there's a, you know, there's a, there's a calling on our on our lives from the Lord Jesus. It's a precious thing. We're not just randomly here. If we've been called in Christ, God has changed our lives in Christ. There's a calling on us, purpose in our lives purposeful reading the story of Abraham the other day and between two of the chapters there's 13 years absolute silence absolute silence just as it ends, it ends when he was 86 next chapter when he was 99 hold on a minute 13 years of silence he's a called man I mean if ever there was a called man it was Abraham 13 years of silence milking the goats loving his wife Sarah hanging in there 
13 years for her, just hanging in there, waiting to be pregnant, waiting for that promise to be fulfilled. There she is, she's going about, getting on with it, respecting her husband, going about her business, cooking the goat. Very exciting. But called by God. I just want us to meditate on that for just a moment. Those of us here are believers, we're Christians, we know God's got hold of us, God's laid hold of us. We're called by God. And there will be a dramatic moments, turning points, crossroads, forks in the road where you do the next big thing, great. But there will be other times where there's years, years of just getting on with it, working it out, falling to the ground and dying. I'll tell you what though, God sees every moment of it. And he's with you every step of the way. And he's for you in it and loves you in it and rejoices over you in it. And you're not to panic and worry because the love of God is stronger than anything in all of creation. So take comfort and take heart from that today. And those of you that have never known the love of Jesus personally in your own life, in your own heart, you may or may not have had a religious background. You may or may not have grown up going to church. It doesn't matter either way. If you've never, in your own soul, known this transforming love of Jesus come in. You've never gone through this experience I spoke about at the start called being born again. Well, it is mysterious and it is glorious, but it's not as mystical as it sounds. The Bible says if you call on the name of Jesus, if you turn away, if you turn away from serving everything else that's not really God, and you say, Jesus, I want to serve you and I trust in you and your absolute gift of forgiveness, that you will receive me freely because of what you did on the cross. If you just come to Jesus on, on his terms, on his terms, and just ask for forgiveness and give your heart to him, he'll make you brand new in a moment. He'll make you brand new in a moment. You can get baptised and start a brand new life with Jesus. And so you let that ponder on your heart as we spend the rest of our time now breaking bread. Lord, we love you. We do love you so much. And uh, we love expressing our gratitude to you and our worship to you. It's our absolute privilege to be in your presence, welcomed in this way, and for you to come and interact with us by your Holy Spirit. 